Welcome to impactboom.org. We search the globe to find the people, stories, ideas, and inspiration to help you create maximum positive impact. Each week, Impact Boom brings you thought-provoking interviews with world-leading practitioners passionate about creating positive social change. These designers, social entrepreneurs, educators, innovators, thinkers, and doers share their projects, initiatives, thoughts, and insights on creating a better world. You can find all the stories, links, and other great content at impactboom.org. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter for the latest updates, or subscribe to the newsletter or on iTunes. Imagine having the ambitious moonshot goal of impacting the lives of 250 million people within the next decade. Sounds crazy, huh? Well, I'm Natana Mayer, and on this episode 129, I'm sitting down with Ben Shemesh, who is trying to do just that in Melbourne. He's the manager of innovation and development at Tom, the Melbourne branch. Now, what is Tom? Tom stands for Tikkun Olam Makers. It's an international movement where they help build assistive technology for people with disabilities. Now, I got to sit down with Ben and we spoke about so many things, but the underlying theme for this conversation is dreaming big. And how can you pull that off? Well, stay tuned. Ben, thank you for joining me today. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Pleasure. So tell me about, tell me about Tom. What is Tom? So, Tom stands for Tikkun Olam Makers. Tikkun Olam is a Hebrew word that loosely translates to repairing the world. Um, Tom is an international uh, movement that was born in Israel in 2014 and has now spread around the world to 33 different countries. Um, We've basically established over 60 communities and we basically um, create assistive technology for people with disabilities. Um, so there's sort of, I guess, branches around the world, um, and each branch basically, um, performs three different stages. The first stage is a makeathon, a 72 hour intense, uh, what we call marathon of making, um, where we go from identifying a challenge to, uh, creating a prototype. Then we do stage two, which is developer groups, um, as you know, um, which is, how we take a prototype to product. And then the, the third stage, dissemination, is about how we get those products to people. So that's through our web platform uh, and our open source uh, nature. It's a pretty ambitious undertaking. It is, it is. We've got a very ambitious uh, moonshot goal um, of impacting the lives of 250 million people within a decade. Um, so 2024 is our big target, um, but we like to dream big. Wow. So is Melbourne the first city in Australia to have Tom? Yep, that's correct. Um, Melbourne, the Tom Melbourne community was established in 2016. Um, we've had two makeathons at Swinburne University of Technology. Um, and since we've established, there's now been a Tom community in Queensland and hopefully next year um, communities in Sydney and Adelaide. Oh, wow. So what countries are you currently in? So, at the moment, the most active communities are in uh, America, in Chile, in Colombia, in uh, Israel, 
uh, in Tokyo, in uh, Japan, and uh, Singapore's uh, hopefully going to um, be established next year. We've also got Spain, um, Mexico. Um, yeah, it's quite quite a, it's a pretty good list. Product, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, what drew you to Tom? How did you get involved? Um, so, I studied. Um, medical science and commerce and as part of my commerce degree I did an exchange subject in Israel and I was fortunate enough to listen to the CEO uh, at the time of Tom speak uh, back when Tom was sort of being established in Israel and he called for us in the class to sort of be ambassadors of Tom and take it back to our local communities and I sort of fell in love with the vision um, and thought to myself oh, I could really see this happening in Melbourne um, at the same time, um, a local uh, philanthropist, uh, Debbie Dadon, uh, also sort of met Tom um, and she was inspired by it and decided that she would uh, help bring that to Melbourne. And we sort of somehow crossed paths here and um, in 2016, um, I helped organize the first Makeathon and I was also a maker, um, which was very exciting. Um, and 2017, I was a mentor at the Makeathon and this year I've come on board full time um, to help grow and establish the community here. Yeah, what's that been like? Um, very challenging. Um, the whole idea, I guess, behind my work this year is how do you take a small organisation that is event-based um, to a community-based organisation that has an ongoing presence uh, right, right, you know, throughout the year. Um, so... Yeah, my sort of goals this year have been establishing developer groups, that second phase. So taking the prototypes that we've worked on uh, and advancing them to products over three months. Um, we've also established a um, university course embedded within the Swinburne Uni curriculum, um, which is very, very exciting for master's uh, level occupational therapist and uh, honors level design students at the design factory. Mm. Um, and also at the Engineering Practice Academy next year, um, which is very, very exciting. We're the first Tom community to have achieved that. So I'm very proud of that. That's yeah. amazing. So, I mean, going back to what you said about trying to transition from something that's based in events to a community-based thing, for other social entrepreneurs that might be listening who are trying to do the same thing, like, do you have any tips or any advice or even some things um, not to do and avoid? Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is um, to um, just do it. Um, unfortunately or fortunately, whichever perspective you have, there was no sort of template for me this year. There was no uh, precedent um, within Tom Communities. And my sort of biggest uh, philosophy is, is to fail fast and iterate quickly. So... Um, I just wanted to get something out there and see what would happen and try and learn as much as I could from the failures or from the uh, points that didn't sort of go so well for next year. Um, so I guess in everything that you do, don't be scared of failure. Um, don't be scared of putting something out there and for getting criticism from other people um, as long as you know how to take that feedback on constructively and implement it in a productive way. Mm, mm, yeah, because how... I'm find that when you're trying to build something like that and you're just focusing on iterating really fast like that sounds really great and it's a definitely a very good way to go about it instead of 
creating something completely polished and perfect and then only putting that out in the world um but when building a community there's like so many other things that play you're dealing with other people as well especially with tom where it's dual-sided you have the makers and then you also have like the need knowers the people that have the problem so how do you go about um keeping that experimental mindset of um failing fast and all that while still dealing with so many people and and keeping them not happy but still feel like they still keeping morale up mm-hmm. uh it's a great question i think um i think it's about building the relationships with other organizations in the community um it's about trying to work together and not trying to do something that's already been done before and once you've established those relationships um, I really think um, a large part of any work you do is about managing those expectations with your clients uh, or with the makers and the need knowers. Um, so it's being really upfront and clear about what to expect throughout programs, what are the outcomes, what are the deliverables, and what are they going to sort of experience during the actual program. Um, for us, it's, it's something that's really important, um, especially on the need knower side, um, ensuring that well-being uh, is looked after and understood um, and acknowledged um, throughout any sort of process we do. It's very, very important to us. So what are some steps that you have in with embedded within that process to help do that? Yeah. So uh, the best example I can give you is the makeathons. Um, so makeathon, 72 hours, super intense environment, lots of noise, lots of running around, lots of excitement. Um, high stress too. High stress. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a really crazy sort of space and it's really, really overwhelming for the makers. Uh, and you can obviously imagine for the need knowers, that's sort of heightened. Um, for the need knowers, we recognized that very early on and um, decided it would be great to have a sort of breakout space for the need knowers to go into that was quiet, that had um, appropriate lighting um, and was a space for them just to relax and get away from the sort of hustle and bustle of the makeathon. Um, we also um, have implemented uh, and will implement in the future um, sort of check-in sessions um, and also need know our ambassadors, um, so individuals that are in charge of ensuring that their well-being is looked after um, throughout the makeathon. Um, so yeah, little sort of steps like that um, I think are really important. Um, uh, managing those expectations with the need know organizations that represent the need knowers before and after uh, and during especially um, and making sure that they have support um, there with them um, so whether that be a support worker uh, an OT a physiotherapist um, someone that really has a good understanding of similar needs um, and that can um, sort of do more sort of diagnostic and therapeutic work on the ground mm. um, as well as general making yeah yeah wow it's a a lot of people at play. So you're definitely not scared of um, having an ambitious goal, especially at Tom, like getting a whole bunch of people to tackle a really important problem that is very personal and specific to a person that the rest of the team might not be um, as intimately aware or knowledgeable about all the different nuances of the problem so how do you go about that because i can imagine that even just understanding the problem is a a whole nother thing yeah um so we usually run uh six to eight weeks before the makeathon a pre-tom event and that's the first time where the team will meet their need now and um, meet the challenge Um, and so that session and the sort of six to eight weeks prior to the makeathon 
are all about building that empathy and that connection and that understanding of the challenge. Um, so that's really important for us. Um, that relationship and, and that communication between the need knower and the maker is, is uh, really, really important and um, makes sure that the products or the prototypes or the solutions rather that um, come out of it are appropriate and actually meet the need and meet the challenge. Mm. Um, so they have that time to sort of do, you know, whether that be um, uh, visit the need knowers uh, home or facility, um, do testing, do design um, sketches, CAD files, whatever it may be, um, so that when it comes to the makeathon day one, they're ready to go and they've already formed that relationship. Mm -hmm. And I can imagine for the the people taking it on sometimes like a lot of these topics are very taboo you don't really usually have the opportunity to sit down with someone and ask them about all the different details to do with their with their disability or whatever it is mm. so how do you how do you have those tricky conversations so um we we ensure as a blanket rule that each team uh, has an occupational therapist um, or someone to support that person. Um, so if, uh, like you said, the makers feel a little bit uneasy asking questions, don't know which questions to ask, what's appropriate, what's not, there's always that support and that second option. Um, but before that, we um, have some sort of guidelines um, that we get the need, oh, sorry, the makers to read over before. Uh, and in the future, um, for future makeathons, we plan on running a sort of disability awareness module uh, before the makeathon at the pre-time event, and also hopefully some sort of uh, e-learning um, mm. online resource that the makers can access to help upskill them in dealing with people with disabilities. Mm, mm. So maybe some of the listeners that don't have access to those resources, like what are some really great tips or advice you have? Um, I think I think don't be scared to ask silly questions. Um, I think. Uh, always ask if you're uncertain. Um, there are definitely some great resources online that are freely available, but I think my biggest uh, tip is just to ask if you're unsure. Don't assume anything. Uh, on, and, and in particular, don't assume preferences or needs of other people, especially those living with disabilities. Yeah, yeah. The no assuming rule is a really good one to have. Yeah. Um, but what about knowing if your question is too direct or how much do you need to try and soften the question? Um, I think there's an element. Um, hmm. It's a tricky question. It is a tricky question. I think, I think um, the bottom line is um, uh, you, you can't, you can't, discount or you can't talk down or you can't patronize or you can't simplify questions for people with disabilities purely because they have a disability 100%. and that's probably the number one rule so again i think it's just a matter of asking before whether it's appropriate or not um and then framing the question around that person's response each person's different as well mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and respecting that as well yeah like understanding going in that your previous experiences to do with that don't actually um, have any bearing on this situation because every single need knower is completely unique and completely different. Yeah, that's correct, yeah. And what about when you're... I can imagine the teams going in might have a, a certain idea as to what they're trying to build, but as they're building it, they realise that 
maybe they're not building a product but rather they're building a system because there's so many other elements at play mm-hmm. so it becomes like this really big um this big challenge that you're trying to solve so how do you how do you, how does tom manage that how does tom uh, how how's tom able to scope a problem and to understand like what's involved in the problem and make it audacious enough so that it's really helping people in ways that aren't actually that where there aren't any solutions available at the moment but also not too audacious where you're trying to do a six-month project Mm -hmm. in a few weeks like how do you how do you know that is there like a vetting process or do you take that into consideration um, so we, we, we have a screening process, um, a sort of system that we use for all of the challenges that we take on. Um, and some of the things we look for are complexity, um, are, um, cost and sort of price barriers or what exists in the market. Um, there's a lot of solutions that exist. Um, uh, some of them might be too expensive or some of them might be, um, not inappropriate materials for the need, Noah. Um, so we sort of have a, a, a vetting process that we do at the start. Um, but I guess the second part of that question is um, what happens when the project is really complex and the team might not necessarily be able to finish it within a given time constraint. And that goes back to the nature of Tom and the ethos of Tom, um, which is trying to keep everything in the public domain uh, open source. So everything that we do at Tom is heavily documented, um, videos, uh, images, text, um, anything that you can basically to capture the knowledge that you've created. Um, And what that provides is it provides um, another community around the world the opportunity to further that knowledge and to continue working on that particular project. Um, So um, for example, um, one of the projects that we worked on, (coughs) excuse me, one of the projects that we worked on at Tommy University is quite a complex um, wheelchair wheel cleaner. Um, if you can imagine a uh, automatic car wash where you drive on, um, sort of washes your wheels and then you drive off and continue your day. Um, so there's a lot of mechanical complexity in that, um, let alone the sort of end design, um, how it will look. And a team at uh, Swinburne University have um, begun that project and came up with some really cool prototypes. Um, And now the Engineering Practice Academy are going to take that on here in Melbourne. Um, But at the same time, a team in Israel is also going to take that on next year as part of their developer group cycle um, to try and continue that. And so what we'll end up having is uh, two versions or two products that stem from the same idea. Um, Now, it might be the case that um, the one in Israel works for particular need knowers there and the one in Melbourne works for particular need knowers here. Um, but, um, yeah, you've got that sort of, um, I guess, continuation of the process and the idea that if you keep everything in open source as opposed to um, closing off the intellectual property, other people are able to continue working on it and uh, more people are able to be impacted by the work that you do. Mm, and that's the beauty of open source. You know, you can anyone could pick up where someone else has left off if the documentation is there. Mm-hmm. You know, so that's really awesome. Have you have you had people outside of Tom pick up those projects? Yeah, there's definitely a lot of interest from industry and from uh, 
uh, other individuals. Um, the the important thing for us and and the sort of the rule that we say is um, obviously we'd love to try and keep everything in open source. It's very challenging, yeah. um, and there's a lot of commercial interest in some of the products that we make purely because of the scale and the market that exists. Um, so if someone was to to want to commercialize it, that's their own prerogative. Um, and they can do so. Um, from our perspective, we've created a solution that didn't exist in the market before. So um, while our interest is definitely to keep everything in the public domain, um, we don't heavily discourage people from commercializing ultimately. Mm. So that's actually so interesting. So when you have teams come together and build things, who who retains the right to that? Who Whose intellectual property is that? So it's signed off at the start uh, in uh, waivers. Um, so it belongs to uh, no one, essentially. So then if someone wants to commercialize things, mm-hmm. how do they go about that then? Um, I'm not a patent lawyer. I mean, like, obviously but from not my step to step. You know, from, step. My, from my brief understanding, um, there would have to be some modification of a certain part or a certain part of that intellectual property. And once that has been done, then that property becomes theirs. Mm-hmm. So, being involved with Tom and all that, bringing it to Melbourne and everything, have there been elements that have surprised you or you didn't really see coming or just certain stories that really touched you or affected you? Yeah, I think um, I think for me, the, those moments come when we develop solutions and need knowers test them for the first time and say wow, I've never been able to do this before or this is the first time I've ever seen this happen Um, and that for me makes what I do worth it. Um, It's it's really touching and it's really amazing to see that with a little bit of of ingenuity, a little bit of work, um, you can create something that really has a long and lasting impact in people's lives. Mm. And other people that are also trying to create something that is open source and work collaboratively with other people maybe across the world do you have any advice for them tough question um i think um mm, i think it's about um making sure that the way that you share your knowledge is uh clearly communicated and easily understandable um for people around the world so Um, the way that we implement that in Tom is through our documentation. Um, The documentation, um, quite a lot of work has been done on the thinking behind it um, so that someone else around the world can pick it up and sort of just go with it um, without having to ask questions um, and without having to sort of struggle through the material. So I guess um, have that process um, nailed from the start, how you're going to share your knowledge between uh, countries, across language barriers, across culture barriers, um, across price barriers. Um, that's really important. For you, like, what's what's the real thing that you actually want to achieve? Like, what's even, like, the little, the, the essence of it? Uh, it's very simple. I think the essence is equality. Um, I, think, I think in our world, um, we speak about uh, design thinking, accessible design, and... Um, which I know that you're you're into, um, and you know it it baffles me that in the twenty first century we're still creating buildings and public spaces that haven't got those elements built into them from the start. 
So they're built and then later down the track, we say to ourselves, oh, maybe we should think about an accessible ramp, uh, accessible ramp or maybe we should think about an accessible toilet. And these things aren't built in from the start. So if we're trying to create the most inclusive and equitable society we can, um, that you know, these things need to be incorporated in, in government policy, in, in government thinking uh, and in, in the public sphere from the get-go. Um, so for me... What I'm trying to achieve and why I'm here is is about equality. Equality. That's a really, that's a very strong message. No, that's great. That's really amazing. And you're right. It's completely stupid that things aren't designed with inclusivity to begin with. Like that's just so dumb, especially when you can so easily communicate with those people and yep. find out that information. And I think it comes down to empathy, really. Um, so, and I actually come to think of it, I think that at Tom, that's a lot what you're doing. You're building empathy because the makers end up building this really intimate relationship with the need knowers and they just understand them and their world so well. And it's through that, it's like through that true mutual understanding that you could start like building a better place together instead of just knowing about it in theory. Like there's a big difference between knowing and understanding. Mm-hmm. And I think bringing that together towards equality is a, is a really great um, mission. Thank you. Yeah, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's about having that equal representation. I think... If we think about the, um, for example, the proportion of government that uh, lives with a disability, it's probably very slim. Um, and if we want to include um, everyone in society, there needs to be equal representation. The same way that there should be equal representation for male, female, and um, and the LGBTI community as well. Um, I think it's just a matter of um, of having open communication. Um, building empathy and then hopefully coming up with a better world for everyone. Mm, definitely. I think that's a very good place to end. Cool. Uh, that was really great. Well, thank you so much. Is there a way that people can find more, uh, find out more about Tom or just get in touch with you or the other people working on things? Yeah, absolutely. So for all of the listeners, I guess that's how you put it, um, in Australia, you can contact us at our website, which is oz.tomglobal.org aus.tomglobal.org um, Alternatively, if you just search Tikkun Olam Makers um, you can find the sort of international page and then be linked into our, our page from awesome. there. Awesome. And then, is it still in December? You're going to have the open source part of it online as well for yep. people? So um, the web platform is being launched, uh, soft launched end of December and publicly launched uh, hopefully at the start of next year. Okay, start um, of next year then. Which is very, very exciting for us. Um, that's where people around the world will have access to all of the products that we've developed um, and they'll be able to download the digital product files which contain all the information of how to replicate a particular product. Um and then they can take away that solution and, and, and develop it in their own community, um, which is very, very exciting. So stay tuned. Stay tuned for 2019. All right. Thank you so much, Ben. Pleasure. Thanks for having me.
Thanks for listening to Impact Boom. You'll find links to the initiatives, people and resources mentioned in this podcast on impactboom.org. Please leave your comments below and remember, we'll be publishing fresh inspiration and insights to help you create positive impact every week on the website, Facebook page and Twitter.